0: Oh, Welcome to Season 2 of Histo Help, NSH's popular podcast that brings tips, tricks, and advice on all those pesky problems you're facing in the lab. Season 1 was a huge hit, and this season is going to keep the good times rolling. We will be chatting with Histo legends like Cliff Chapman and Maria Buell, Dave Kruel, our unofficial guru on tech, industry partner, and maybe your new best friend when it comes to equipment know-how, Matt Minzer, and NSH members Lynn Grumman and Candace Smoots, whose sound tips and advice will really help your lab maintain those high standards. So sit back for a few minutes and enjoy. this is Connie, and I'm sitting once again with David Kroll, an SH member and podcast star from season one of Um, In the fall, I sat down and spoke with Dave about the concepts of disruptive technology. We talked about what it is, how it is looking, and how it's looked in the past. Uh, if you recall, Dave, we even talked about how We used to listen to the radio and use tape cassettes and now we have all of our music on our phones. And then also, especially in the lab, the types of disruptive technologies that were once disruptive but are now part of everyday life in the lab and what Dave was seeing in the future, what would be disruptive in the future. Um, We also tried to put some people at ease by talking about why disruptive technology is a good thing despite its kind of overwhelming name. Right. Um, so I thought this with the popularity of that episode, um, I thought it'd be a great idea to break down one of those technologies that you saw as coming into the future. And one of those was artificial intelligence or AI, as I like to think the cool kids say. Um, <laughs> yep. Now, I was, as I was just telling you before, Dave, I have very little knowledge of AI. Um, for me, when I think of that phrasing, it conjures up images of robots and like a Back to the Future movie for some reason. Absolutely. Um, but just before we got on this this call here, I just Googled really quickly AI, which uh, I said, how is AI in our everyday lives? And it was amazing. Don't steal my thunder.
1: Don't steal yeah, my okay, thunder. Okay, I
0: won't. But just doing the process of Googling, <laughs> okay. I realized I was using AI. So oh. um so I thought let's, if you, if you don't mind talking a little bit about just what AI is and then we can talk about um, where you're seeing that in the lab or where you think it's going to be coming in the lab or maybe it's already there and I don't
1: know it. Absolutely. It's just snuck up on you. You weren't even aware. Just like when you use Google and you said, wow, I'm actually using machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence. And I just want to state that you are a cool kid. Thank honest. you.
0: <laughs> Not
1: just because you used AI, but thank just you. in general. So, And this and, is and,
0: recorded, so everyone knows. It.
1: <laughs> just for the record, and and thank you for inviting me to come back and, and focus on this particular topic of, of AI. I am by no means an expert in this area. Um, I recognize that This is something that we are beginning to use quite a bit now in in my lab, Uh, and it's something that we've had a lot of conversations, both internally and externally, with uh, people that are really key opinion leaders in this area. And really, like like you said, when you hear the word AI, you think of uh, Back to the Future or um, Transformers and, and things like that, right? Or the Borg from Star trek, yes. uh, <laughs> part of a collective and <laughs> and, and really, uh, AI is just using computers to 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 automate processes that typically were done by uh, by people, right so if we look at the field of histology. We've been using uh, some machine learning, some uh, computer methods like image analysis for some time now. And it was really to augment a lot of the work that pathologists were doing in a manual way. So they would put these uh, H&Es, and they still do this, uh, H&Es or IHC slides. And they would do uh, uh, some kind of a feature assessment. So they would look at the morphology. They look at the cell types. They do some manual recording uh, in words. has has a summary of of what they were seeing. Uh, was was there inflammation? How many inflammatory cells are in a particular area? What the the structure of the tissue looked like. Uh, that type of thing and then for the IHC they would do uh, a numerical scoring a plus one plus two plus three etc to to kind of classify the intensity of a particular cell type or analyte that was being labeled and now what we've done with image analysis is we take it a step further and do some uh, manual annotations or semi-automated annotations where we classify different regions of the tissue based upon the morphology or based upon the IHC analysis that we've done. Uh, For instance, with DAB, we might want to capture all the brown cells and and be able to do some thresholding on on the intensity of those cells and then export all that information to a, a, a spreadsheet. And where we are with uh, AI is now we're taking that image analysis approach uh, and automating that. So we're having the computer learn uh, how to do that classification itself.
0: That's right. I remember you all talking a lot about that in the digital pathology program. Um, That's right. Quite a few folks that um, in those lectures, they're talking about that. Interesting.
1: Yep, so we, we actually give the, the software training sets. So we uh, annotate specific different uh, cell types, and then we go through a process where the, the, the software will look at what we've classified and then it tries to apply that same classification to other features that are like it within that tissue sample. So we, we show it a subset and then we have it apply that same concept to the rest of the sample. And it does it it does it by a, a pixel by pixel basis. So it's actually looking at the sub uh, subcellular level. So it's actually looking at the individual pixels that make up a, a particular image if that makes sense. yeah. Um, and you know, if you really zoom into an image, if you artificially enlarge an image, you can see those little blocks, right? Yes. And each of those blocks actually has uh, a specific color and uh, intensity associated with it, a color palette and intensity associated with it. And the software uh, is tuned to recognize the differences. So differences that we may not even appreciate by eye. And I, I love this uh, recent article that came out in The Scientist uh, in May of 2019. And it says, artificial intelligence sees more in microscopy than humans do. So it can, it can really look very closely at these uh, subcellular features and use that to classify okay. uh, the objects. And there's a, a software package that uh, we use in our, in our lab uh, from Indica Labs. It's, it's called Halo, uh, and that has an AI feature as well. And we're, we're using that to try to classify tumors. So we want to understand uh, the stroma versus the actual tumor and then any associated tissue that we don't want to measure, such as muscle tissue or connective tissue. And we want to just focus on, on the tumor cells themselves and look at the immune cells within that area and so we we have developed an algorithm using ai to to classify the tumor and then also measure the individual immune cells within the tumor and that's through uh, the multiplex ihc or immunofluorescence approaches uh, that we're we're also developing and it's a big topic as well with the with the nsh so. Yes,
0: it is. Now, can I ask you a question, Dave? So you're sure. talking about the Halo that you, the program Halo that you use in the AI yes. feature. Um, was it difficult to grasp the concept of what it was doing or even use the software? I mean, I, I don't want to speak, I'm not trying to speak on this specific software, but I mean, just in a global way, like, is it a different mindset you have to get into when you are using this kind of technology or is it really feel very um, intuitive? about yeah, what that, you're looking at
1: that's a great question so um, the the GUI or the the user interface which is what they call it um, is is like something that. <laughs> that is is something that's you know really uh, different from one software to another and if you if you go back to uh, how the software is designed it's it's really designed by um, some really Intelligent machine learning people, right? They understand computational biology. They understand uh, script writing and 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 things like Python. So they they are programmers. They don't necessar- necessarily have to be um, biologists, uh, but they have to understand how to write all this code. And thankfully, uh, they do all this coding and develop these algorithms, and then has a, a nice user interface where we just have to. Tell the software what we want to do okay. with uh, pull-down menus and things like that. Uh, so we understand the biology, and then we can use this tool that this engineer has created and apply it to the tissue. So the the user experience is uh, is is very very nice because we don't have to understand machine learning and uh, Python programming. Wow. so that's uh, great yeah and and many software companies are are developing this. It's not just uh, I Labs. I know uh Visio Farm and and other software companies as well are focused on on this application and and some whole uh, businesses are uh designed around this type of approach with artificial intelligence and We actually had a, a speaker um, I don't remember the 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 last year that they spoke, but it was uh, Andrew Beck. Remember yeah, that was, Beck? I do.
0: St. Louis.
1: Yep, from, from 2018. From oh, thank you. Path uh, AI. Path AI. Very good. I, I tried to do a quick search and I, I couldn't find the year location, but yeah, that's right. So Path AI has actually made a business out of applying uh, machine learning and then this AI approach uh, and these neural networks is another term that you'll hear or deep learning, uh, and they're they're applying it to to millions of images, so they're going beyond what I was talking about, in my own projects in the lab to looking at H and E's and even unstained tissue sections, and being able to apply uh, classifications based on morphology or the intensity or other uh, characteristics in the sections, um, in the unstained as well as uh, stained samples, and and actually pathologists are are coming together and they're. They're annotating the the images, and uh, in, in hopes of training the AI software uh, to do it, do an even better job than the individual pathologists would do on their own.
0: So you just said an interesting phrase, and I I feel like we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but you said training the software. Yes. Um, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so that that's another good question. So like when I was saying about um, teaching it, so I, I circle areas or uh, annotate, make annotations on the images to tell the the software what that particular um, Area is so. Like I was mentioning with the tumor, I might want to tell it what the tumor cells are by highlighting those, and I might want to identify muscle tissue and connective tissue by highlighting those areas a different color. And then, uh, the machine will go through its its algorithm and identify uh, the categories of the unannotated image and then i will proofread it so i will go back and look and 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 see how it did and go back and and correct any mistakes it made and say no that was incorrectly classified you thought it was tumor but it's actually stroma and i would reclassify it and then have it train again and so the level of uh they call it entropy or the level of of change uh decreases over time. So the more training sets you give it, the the better and better uh, the software is at, at correctly identifying those structures. And the more examples you give it, the better it becomes as well.
0: Okay, makes total sense. Yeah, so it's giving it gives the machine the opportunity to have more data to make those better classifications are identifying things more accurately based on exactly. the training you're giving. Interesting. It's like, it's, it's like training a person.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And uh, the other, the other interesting thing is how, how can we use this? And uh, in the drug development world, we're, we're constantly looking at, uh, toxicology right we'll, we'll do sure. toxicology testing and we want to know if any of our drugs are causing adverse effects that's one of the screening things uh, screening uh, types that we do to make sure that our, our our medicines are safe and the pathologist will will look at a lot of normal tissue uh, they'll, they'll screen hundreds or thousands of slides a lot of them are normal because thankfully the drugs that we're developing are are more and more safe and cause less toxicity because we've identified what makes drugs toxic and we try not to make those type of drugs. And so to have a software that could look at hundreds or thousands of digital images and classify things as not being normal would be really helpful or anything that maybe falls slightly askew of what was considered normal. And, and that's how they, they talk about money. For instance, you, know, you, you don't uh, teach somebody to, to recognize counterfeit money by showing them a number of counterfeit dollars. You really train them to recognize what a real dollar looks like, what an authentic dollar looks like, and they really scrutinize it to a very high degree so that when a counterfeit does come along, they'll recognize it very quickly. And that's what we're doing with with this AI approach. If we can train it with thousands or, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of normal tissue samples, it will recognize patterns that may indicate that there's an abnormality or there's some kind of a toxic effect that was uh, due to the drug.
0: Okay, makes sense. That's really exciting to hear how that is evolving into and, the way that it, it reaches our lives.
1: And and the pathologist would still go back and they would do a QC. So they would go back sure. and, uh, and check and see if uh, some of those were, were flied correctly or incorrectly and that information would then be fed back into uh, the software to make it even better and better wow. over time.
0: It's like the um, more, it le- obviously the more information it gets, the more it learns and the more precise it can become.
1: Yep. And so I think that's where we're going in the long term, but in the near term where where we're using AI is is like I said in, in in trying to classify the different regions of of the tissue uh or subcompartments and then uh, measuring the cells within those compartments.
0: So so we've talked a little bit about that particular type of um how that, the AI technology is going in and, and how you're seeing it in your world. Is there anything, um, you're in a research setting, is there anything um, that you see has already, we talked about Google being, make sure I'm articulating this right. Where right. am I seeing this here and now, Dave? I'm at the hospital, I, or I'm working in a lab at the hospital. Are we seeing this technology frequently already or is it something that's coming?
1: So um, it is being applied in, in, um, in the clinical lab as well. Uh, there is actually a recent paper that came out. Uh, that the title is kind of confusing if you just read it at, at face value, but it's in uh, a Nature publication, and uh, it's focused on breast cancer. And it says, application of convolutional neural networks to breast biopsies to delineate tissue correlates of mammography breast density. Okay.
0: There <laughs> were a few syllables I got lost at, but yeah. okay.
1: So what what, what that's saying is they're taking um, the you know the this artificial intelligence and applying it to mammography, or and, okay. and, and comparing it with uh, the biopsies, tissue biopsies, and also the more um, mammography. So there's a connection with uh, the the biopsy samples with uh, in vivo imaging right? So that's yep. that's kind of like the in-life uh, x-rays and and uh, MRIs and things like that. And and we're doing that, that similar approach within the research field as well. Um, but this is an area where in the, the diagnostic world, I think that's going to be increasingly important. And uh, again, an image is an image to uh, uh, an AI software, so you can you can look at city streets and things using AI and, and count all the the number of red cars versus green cars on a particular street, or you could apply it to uh, these um, mammography radiographs wow. and, and and look at uh, the the arrangement of the um, the breast tissue and and determine if there's any uh, tumors within that area or any areas that look slightly abnormal. Uh, and that might need to be flagged um, to a pathologist.
0: Wow, that's really exciting, um, you know, just hearing how, what you, you know, I'm not going to lie, there are some words I don't understand, um, okay. but <laughs> so how you're using it, and what you're doing, and, and especially when you're talking about the toxicology stuff, toxicity, um, and then hearing just how it's, we're seeing it in labs and helping with that type of diagnosis as well. Um, Is there anything I'm not, I mean, I feel like uh, I obviously understand this a lot more now, um, besides my Back to the Future reference of AI, (laughs) Um, but is there anything else, um, any takeaway you feel like somebody should, when they're finished with this episode, should walk away with?
1: Well, and, and not, not to be afraid of these AI approaches coming forward. They're not going to take over your job or replace you as, as a scientist or as a pathologist. They're really there as a tool to help you and, 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 and make you better at what you do. Uh, so in the case of like these AI approaches, uh, especially pathologists who read maybe hundreds of cases a day, uh, they can get to a point where they might be fatigued right? Or, or their eyes get tired and they have to stop, take a break, uh, and then catch up on something the next day where uh, if you're running uh, AI, the machine doesn't get tired. So you can keep feeding this through and then uh, go in the next day and have all these images already well annotated for you. Then you can go through and and, and do a, a quality assurance check and a, and a proofread. So these these approaches are to free you up so you can use your your mind in different ways or free up your time to for another um, another process that you need to do manually uh, so they're really to to augment and to help refine your way of working uh, to add value
0: that's awesome yeah i mean and if- I feel more confident knowing that the AI can't learn without us to some extent. So it still needs us. So that's good to know. Um, all right. Well, that was awesome, Dave. Um, thank you so much for your time. And I know that you and I've talked about maybe doing another episode on a deeper dive into another one of these technologies that are those, those phrases are being thrown around and we want to break that down a little bit more too. So, um, certainly we will get that scheduled on the books for hopefully season three. But um, again, thanks for your time, and I uh, and I just hope you have a really wonderful holiday season.
1: Yep, same same here. Thanks so much uh, for again for inviting me, and I hope uh, people find this this useful. It's really just to uh, to break down some of the mystery around these approaches and uh, help help to start the conversation, and we'll hopefully continue it at at the future uh, NSH meeting uh, in Reno.
0: I'm sure we will. Thanks, Dave. Have a great right. day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have a tip trick or piece of knowledge you'd like to share, let us know. We would love to feature you on a future episode of histo help. Have
1: a great day.